Welcome to the Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Babble Podcast. Thank you for pushing play today. I'm really happy that you're here. Uh, But before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my guest Kelly Ryan and I today are diving into some very difficult topics. Um, We're not really holding back. We're digging deep. And these topics include things like sexual assault and rape culture and gender roles within the church, um, psychological training, and purity culture. So if any of these things are topics that you are not comfortable um, leaning into today, obviously don't feel pressure to listen to this episode, uh, but I wanted to make sure that it was very clear going in that we are discussing some pretty hard topics. This is a great conversation, and Kelly is an incredible resource uh, for sexual healing, religious trauma healing. I felt very, very opened um, with this conversation myself, and obviously my hope is just that this can be a resource for those who are struggling with these same things. So I hope that If you're comfortable listening, and if if at any point during this episode you become uncomfortable listening, step away. Step away. We respect boundaries here. There's no judgments. There's no expectations. There are always boundaries. I love you very much, and I hope that if you are going to listen to this episode that you enjoy it. It is an incredible conversation. It really is. We, We really, really break some things open, and I'm very thankful for it. But yeah, be aware. I love you. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the Babel Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Um, Today, I have with me again, uh, Kelly Ryan, who is a sex positive clinician and theologian. She is um, an incredible human and she is dedicating her work to helping people work through religious trauma uh, and ensuring that there is always a sex positive atmosphere surrounding that um, because the two are more connected than we have previously come to understand. So I am here to talk with her some more again about everything of surrounding that. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to have you back. Um, So Kelly, today we want to talk a little bit about um, purity culture to start off our conversation um, because that is such a huge topic of conversation and it absolutely um, affects young people's ability to understand sex and the relationships that 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 causes. So um, I'd love to hear kind of your, your take on 
purity culture and your understanding of it for you? Yeah. So, um, to be, um, completely raw and honest with the audience, um, this is the second attempt of us recording. So, it is. <laughs> um, I, I say that to say, we're clearly talking about something that's important because I was, I, I was taught in my faith tradition that, um, you know, when, when something is trying to stop you from doing something, um, that means it's something good because the devil is trying to stop it from happening because it must be bringing forward an important truth about who God is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, uh, that happened to me with my, like, uh, my call in ministry, um, Mm -hmm. and seems to be happening with this podcast, which is basically <laughs> about my call in ministry. <laughs> I guess it's my fault page because the devil loves playing with me. Um, well, not today, Satan. Not on today. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to give that precursor that we've mm-hmm. already attempted to have this conversation once. So um, <laughs> hopefully we can make it feel still as natural as possible. For sure. Uh, Basically, um, my background with purity culture is uh, that I did not grow up in church traditions that taught like an extreme purity culture in in their mm-hmm. youth group or their you know children's ministries. However, I was very good friends with people who did have those um, faith traditions um, that taught that purity culture was uh, essential to their uh, well being, to their you know to their holiness, to their ability to be a sinless person and be as close to God as you can. Mm -hmm. Those were my group of like really important key friends. Um, and that I would sit with at lunch regularly in high school. And, um, so even though I was not in their churches, um, hearing these messages, hearing this training, um, I would see their purity rings and be jealous that they had a purity ring, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, like they're much more faithful than I am. And um, just, you know, in case people didn't listen to my previous episode, my mom is a minister. Um, and I spent most of my life as a seminary kid. Um, mm-hmm. She fo- followed her call a little later in life. And so um, I, I was heavily influenced by religion in my household and this idea of, of being close to God was really important to me because, um, you know, my mom was called into ministry and I, it felt like I had this expectation. And I also, um, I think it's important in this conversation too, because we are, we are talking about purity culture and, um, it affects a certain population of people, um, meaning, children and youth. Mm-hmm. That's where the training starts. And I think it's important to say that um, because, you know, for me, like I'm being trained as a clinician, right? I'm like really deep in um, psychology and what, you know, what's being learned at different stages of development. And mm-hmm. when you put the, the psychology of what is happening with a child or a youth at these ages, at these developmental ages, Next to what is being trained in purity culture, oh, that is dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. That is really dangerous um, because, um, especially when we're talking about high schoolers, this is this is identity time. Mm-hmm. 
um, you're really trying to figure out who you are. And I mean, that was my struggle, right? Like I see my mom, who's this minister that I would literally have people come up to me like, aren't you so proud of your mom? She left corporate America and became a minister. Isn't that amazing? And I would be like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm supposed to think that's amazing. Right. Um, because I'm supposed to be close to God, right? Like that's how this works. Um, Mm. and so for someone to take a youth who is going through their identity development, like we need to use that framework. So I'm kind of glad that we're recording this because I didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. bring it in in our first conversation. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring it in later, but to, to put someone through a purity culture training who is going through identity formation. Yeah. I also love that we're using purity culture training, like instead of some other, I I just love that you're using that particular vocabulary because it does thinking back on it. It, that is kind of what it felt like. It, it, it felt like I was being trained to be the perfect Christian person or the perfect Christian woman. Um, And, but it was under the guise of, Oh, this is just, this is just the truth. This is just us teaching you what's correct. And, and there's no, yeah, there's no other option basically. Right. Yeah. So essentially what you're displaying there and just saying that is um, what, what exactly is the danger of teaching a youth purity culture Mm -hmm. formational age? Um, They are not at the point where they can necessarily make a choice um, as to whether this feels right to them or not. Mm. Right. Like we, we as youth are so influenced by our peers. Mm -hmm. We are so influenced by our peers. We want, we want to be liked. We want to be accepted and we're trying to figure out how we do that. Yeah. We're trying to figure out, you know, okay, so if I, if I wear these kind of clothes, if I post these kinds of things on Instagram, maybe I will be popular and liked, right? Like there's a reason that high school movies are timeless mm-hmm. because yeah. it's always the same problem. Yeah. There's new technology, but that problem existed in handwritten notes passed underneath the desk before we had phones, right? Right. Like, um, I just aged myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. That was my favorite thing to do. I loved passing notes. It was so yeah. scandalous. My God, passing notes for the past. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like you, if you think about it in that context, it's really scary. Um, you are forming someone's identity unwillingly Mm -hmm. they don't really because of the place of development they're in they don't really have the authority in their own body yet to say no this isn't okay or to challenge it um yeah you know some some children and youth are born with stronger wills than others right Mm -hmm. and then you know you can get really psychological about this because then i would have to go back to like the beginning of their development right (laughs) but but that's important to point out that certain people um, or more susceptible to the dangers of religious abuse or trauma than others. 
because mm-hmm. of the house that they grow up in, right? Mm-hmm. Whether their caregiver was there or not, um, and whether you know they developed issues with attachment. So you put those factors in play. There's a huge population of people who are really susceptible to the dangers of purity culture Mm -hmm. and having it be part of their identity formation in a way that could end up with them dead. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, that sounds extreme, but it's true. And I, there's one story that really particularly affected me deeply Mm -hmm when I was in seminary. Um, so at, at that time I was, I was pursuing method. Um, I was pursuing ordination in the Methodist church. And so I was really highly involved with the reconciling ministries, which is the LGBT, um, essentially organization of the Methodist church that is trying to work toward getting the Methodist church to be more inclusive toward queer people. Mm-hmm. And in my time doing that work, I came across a really horrific story um, of a youth, again, formational age, Mm -hmm. right? Very, you know, identity, like this all, you have to keep these things in mind. Their youth leader um, found out that they were gay, basically shamed them in front of the whole youth group told them that they couldn't go on um, a trip. Um, And despite the fact that this youth's mother was so loving and so accepting of this child's identity as gay, Mm -hmm. um, despite, you know, the work that she did to say, you know what, this church can suck it. We're going, we're out of here that was wrong. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. This youth died by suicide at like 21. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is the danger of purity culture Mm -hmm. because you are, you are doing this at this really crucial age of the formation of someone's being of when they're mm-hmm. figuring out, you know, this is who I am and what I want to be and what I want to do. And if you train a person, I say train, I'm going to, I'm, yeah. if you would train a person that if they have sex, any kind of sex, I'm sorry, I'm getting angry now. Wow. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you train a person that they cannot have any kind of sex, oral, uh, anal, uh, you know, they can't masturbate. They can't, you know, all of these things can't, you know, can't have penetrative sex. You Mm -hmm. train that into someone during identity formation. And then something happens, whether by choice or not, Mm -hmm. what are they going to do with that? You have now formed them to believe that they are lesser than if that happens with someone who is not their spouse. What are they supposed to do with that? And this is what we were talking about on the previous not recorded recorded episode. <laughs> right? um, what what are what is someone supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. Like 
they don't train you for when or if sex happens outside of that union, right? They train you to not do it. They don't train you for what happens if you do. There is no talk about what the road to forgiveness looks like. And so you have now formed this youth who may or may not have chosen to have a sexual relation outside of marriage to believe that they are now lesser than, that they are not enough, that they are forever sinned. Mm -hmm. They cannot recover from that because you haven't trained them how to. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I experienced that myself. I was, we were talking about this in the not recorded, previously recorded episode um, where that was a huge thing for me in my, um, in my college years with the relationship I was in in college because we were trying so hard to be that Christian couple that did all the right things and, um, you know, didn't do anything impure and all that shit. And well, not shit, but just like, you know, all of that jazz. And, um, and every time we did end up messing around, we never had actual sex, but we did everything. But every time we did that, it was a, it was immediate shame and having to like, and we'd usually end up fighting because it was, you know, why we, and one of us would end up blaming the other, like, oh, why did you suggest we do that? That was wrong. You should have known better. You know, and it was just incredibly unhealthy, incredibly. And every time we would walk away from a night like that, I would go to my friend group who, um, who were also religious and feel like I just had a big scarlet letter on my chest. Like it, it didn't, but no one knew, like, obviously no one knew what was going on behind closed doors, but it felt like to me as though it was blatantly obvious that I was a sinner because of what had happened. Like, but nothing did it, you know, it's that psychological gymnastics that, that happens. That's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. So now I want to take the image that you just presented. And I want, I want our listeners to imagine that same scenario. But for someone who is sexually assaulted as a child. Mm. So let's say you were three or four years old. Something happened where an adult took advantage of you. You didn't necessarily understand what was happening, what was going on. But you like you knew it didn't feel right, but it felt good. There was like all these things that happened. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to being 10 or 11 you're in church. They're starting to teach you about what is purity culture and what is sex. And you're starting to understand that what happened to you at three or four might've been sex. Mm-hmm. And now you're being told that that's wrong. Right. And that's sinful. Can you imagine the kind of Torture that would create in a child that you know they're they're you're an adult, you're standing there, you're telling them you have now you are impure. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're three. I mean, that's not what they're saying, but that might that's probably how that 10-year-old is interpreting it, right? Mm-hmm. 
you are now unpure. Like you've been unpure this whole time. Right. And we, and we wonder why people have really severe mental breakdowns and Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation and, and are cutting themselves and body shaming themselves. Mm -hmm. We wonder. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of thing where the, the church, it's, it feels like the church doesn't want to take responsibility for that sometimes where they don't want to take responsibility for the things they're saying to their youth and the trainings that they're doing without calling it that. Um, because I've had a couple of um, people that I know from my hometown that um, have had stories of sexual assault and from other people who have been within the church and have tried to go to the church authorities about it and have been brushed off because the church does not want to take responsibility for that. Um, which is another, which is just another layer of, you know, no wonder people have such issue with this because they feel like the place that they should be able to go to, um, to heal or to, um, find support, uh, doesn't offer that for them in some cases or in most cases, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so, you know, just to, instead of theorizing about this, I I can talk about it from my own, my own story. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't give many details, but, um, I, you know, I was, I was sexually assaulted in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that, like, as I've done, like, my therapeutic work over time, I've come to realize that that assault and the fact that I was surrounded by friends um, who were seeped in purity culture mm-hmm. had a really significant effect on me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't, for the longest time, even acknowledge that that was an assault. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't realize it was an assault until the Me Too movement happened. And mm-hmm. I started hearing other people's stories. Yeah. Uh, I realized like there was nowhere in that incident where I provided consent. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. And I was trapped. I didn't have an opportunity to say no. I wasn't even dating them. I mm-hmm. never this person. Like. It was, um, it's like, I look back at that and I feel like that was the start of me feeling like I was a whore. Mm. Yeah. Even though I did not give consent. Yes. But it, it was, it was like, it was just like a, after that for me, mm-hmm. like that was my first sexual encounter. Yeah. No, oh, man. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like for me, then I, I spent the rest of my like twenties trying to reconcile: am I or am I not allowed to have sex? And I was trying to find a way to be okay, mm-hmm. right? Like I'd been surrounded by this idea of purity culture that it's not okay to have sex. So then I went this direction of, oh my god, I need to find a way to be okay with having sex because. Um, this is going to break me inside. 
Mm. So like I went on this journey of trying to break this idea of purity culture because I knew it was going to kill me. Mm. And I like acted out sexually because I just, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it. I, and then this kind of brings back a conversation. I know we had kind of touched on with your relationship. Mm -hmm. So my first relationship in college, so this was after the sexual assault. um, Part of my reconciliation process was being in that relationship, in a committed relationship. Mm -hmm. um, And then feeling like, well, I want to have sex with him, but we're not married. Oh, but my other friends are having sex with their boyfriends. I don't know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. um, but then there must have been something like internal in me that's like, well, you're already, you're already impure. Um, mm. and so I, you know, I decided to have sex with him. And then that turned into a demon for me. It turned into a trap. I went back into the purity culture trap because I didn't want to have sex with anyone but my husband. I still had this in my mind, but mm-hmm. I only wanted to have sex with one person in my whole life. And um, that relationship ended up being really abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember um, being you know, thrown against a wall. I remember mm-hmm. you know, having sex with them and dissociating, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was, um, it was a trap because I felt like I had to be with him. Yeah. I, I committed the ultimate sin. I had sex outside of marriage. So now I have to marry him because I'm Mm -hmm. only supposed to have sex with my husband. And, um, I know my story is not in a silo. Mm -hmm. I know it's not. Um, I, I have friends, so I know it's not in a silo. <laughs> have similar stories, right? Yeah. Where we feel, um, you know, in order to remain somewhat okay with God, because I'm already definitely not okay, but I at least can be half okay with God if I marry this person, right? So we try to reconcile our sexual relation and we will trap ourselves in a not good relationship because we're trying to at least be half okay with God. Right. Because it's better than being not okay with God. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a, yeah, it is such a trapping because of, like you said, you don't, you feel like you don't have any other option. You feel like if you, if you leave this relationship that you've committed this sexual act in, then you are, forever impure you're forever tainted you're forever um broken and there's nothing you can do to take that back Mm -hmm. um so might as well to your point just stay where i am already partially tainted or partially broken and just keep that and hope it doesn't get any worse (laughs) right um which is just such an such a damning psychological state to be in um and it sets a precedent for the rest of your relationship for the rest of your um for the rest of your life really that you are 
damaged goods and you aren't worthy of full happiness or full pleasure or full redemption, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. But it sets that precedent that you are ultimately not 100% able or worthy. Um, So it's, yeah, it's really, it's hard, man. It's, it's hard. It's hard shit to, to come to terms with as a person who's gone through it, like for both you and me both have our own stories with, with all of this. And yeah, I remember the biggest, the biggest thing for me was when I did eventually have sex um, for the first time, it was with a person that I cared for deeply. um, And with uh, a person who I knew cared for me, like it was incredibly mutual and beautiful, but and it was consent all around. Like we both knew what we were going into and we said yes. And it was fantastically consensual. Um, but when we, as soon as we were finished, I had to sit up in bed and just shut down yeah, be- completely because I had to sit there and be like, I have done this. I have made this choice. D- am I damned? Like I had to sit there and like, it felt like I was having a conversation with God because at the time I was very much still a Christian. Um, and was just like, am I done? Like, have I, have I condemned myself? Am I done? Um, and my, my partner, um, who, I mean, he, he didn't fully understand what I was processing, but he knew that was the first time I'd ever had sex. He knew that. So he, he was great. He just kind of sat up and like put his hand on my back and was like, do you, do you need to talk about it? Like, what do you need? And I, I had to be like, I need to just sit here for a second because I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on in me right now. Um, and it's, you know, that's the kind of, it's a very hard down version of the psychology that goes a, around purity culture. And then eventually breaking it to your point, like acting out, if you will, and saying, I'm going to try and leave that behind, but you can't, it's still, even today, I still have intimacy issues because, because there are definitely times where I'm like, am I worthy of this? Am I supposed to like this? Is this okay for me to do, even though I've been with my partner now for six years, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about how the trainings and the, the psychology, the psychological formations that happen at that adolescent young adult age even though, even though you do the work is still, still sitting back there. Um, it kind of just shows how hard it can be to break that. Yeah. And, and Paige, what I'm hearing in your story is, um, when, when you, when you talked about the first time that you had sex and you sat up, mm-hmm. um, that was the, I mean, that to me sounded like a trauma response. Mm. Yeah. Like, do you like it almost sounded a little bit like dissociation? Mm. Yeah, I guess it could be because I, I had to, it felt like I had to just go into a bubble. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, just fully try to fully comprehend what just happened. Um, but it wasn't, but the, to your point, like that's, it 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 was a trauma response simply because I'd never done the deed before. But at the same time, 
my understanding psychologically surrounding what I had just done was was more traumatizing than than the sex itself. Right. And so like what, so here, here's the thing to kind of go back to the previous episode, there is yeah. like barely any research out, out there on religious trauma and how that affects mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. It is very new. Um, I, I mean, I'm part of a, a, a research cohort and there's, there's like a post of a list of all of the research that's been done. And it's like 20 articles y'all. Mm. Um, and, uh, but one of them is actually about dissociation. Mm. Uh, and what I, what I find interesting, um, for me is I, I, I know I, and whether this is sexual assault related or religious trauma related, or it's all mixed in between, I dissociate a lot during sex. Mm. Um, and for me, sex is like a major trigger. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I am curious about the numbers in regards to, um, exposure to purity culture and, mm-hmm. you know, the trigger of sex and how that ends up presenting some kind of trauma. So for those who don't know necessarily what I'm talking about with what, what is dissociation? What is a trauma response? What is, let me kind of yeah pull that out a little bit. <laughs> so when, when someone's having, when someone has an experience of trauma and I would argue, um, that growing up in purity culture is like a nonstop trauma. Mm. It's kind of, it's kind of alike to being, you know, put in a cellar and forgotten about, like, it's a trauma that doesn't stop. It's like an mm-hmm. ongoing trauma experience. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you experience a trauma, um, it, it creates, um, it can create, not for everyone, just to be mm-hmm. clear, because we're all different people. We're all, we're all built, born, exposed to different things in different ways. We all develop differently. But for us, you know, a certain section of the population, we're a little more at risk for a PTSD presentation. So like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people are more um, understanding of PTSD when it comes to like a veteran who comes back um, after experiencing combat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just sexual assault, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty exposed to PTSD with those kinds of scenarios, mm-hmm. but I would argue that that same response exists for people who've been exposed to religious trauma caused by things like purity culture. And the reason I argue that is because, you know, like in my story, and it sounds like possibly in Paige's story as well when we're triggered by something that reminds us of purity culture. So sex, um, a particular scripture, um, like we, we, we like get to a a part of a movie and it makes us feel uncomfortable because Mm. we know a sexual encounter is about to happen, whatever it is. Um, it, it can be something super simple and small, like even just seeing a ring, right. Because purity yeah. rings, right? Um, seeing someone else's purity ring can trigger that response, right? Um, and then what happens is your body tells you, oh no, you're in trouble. 
it brings you back to that space in a way um, of feeling shamed, guilt-ridden, lesser than, whatever it is for you. And your body has to protect you from that. And so that can present in a lot of different ways. Um, For me, a lot of the time, it's dissociation. And the reason dissociation is protective is because it's trying to check you out from the stressor. So essentially, your body's like, you can't handle this. This is too much. We're going to leave for a bit. When we feel like it's okay to come back, we'll let you know. <laughs> and that's and that's dissociation. So that, that's why, like for me, having sex became a dissociative act a lot of the time because I would go back to this idea of purity culture, of being shamed for what I'm doing, of feeling guilty. My body would not be able to handle that stressor. It would say, no, this isn't okay. This isn't okay. So I would go and shut down. Mm-hmm. And then I would reappear when it felt yeah. safe again. Um, and I really, I am curious um, about the numbers in regards to that. Um, for people who have had that purity culture exposure, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, you know, I mean, there's other different kinds of presentations. There's flashbacks, um, nightmares. Um, I mean, I, I, I won't lie. I've had my own nightmares um, mm-hmm. in regards to purity culture. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of different presentations and ways that your body processes that. Um, the way your spirit processes that even just having this conversation, my stomach is activated. I feel nauseous. Mm. Um, and I would even encourage our listeners to pay attention to what their body's response is right now. Mm. Um, because it can be very telling. Yeah. Um, For me, I feel, a. am sorry. I said just to, just to let, let, let the listeners know for me too. My, my chest feels contracted yeah. at the moment. Um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and I feel slightly, I wouldn't say lightheaded, but I feel a little lighter in the head as well, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And like, for me, like it's usually in my chest, but for some reason right now, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely like, it makes me feel nauseous. Like, whoa, like, yeah, this is a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and um, this might, this might be extreme, but when we think about like, this may seem silly to us outside of the context of this conversation. But when you think about people calling in a priest for an exorcism, Mm -hmm. the fact that I just said, I feel nauseous. And I'm talking about this purity culture, this trauma of sex. And you think about, you know, the character and the exorcism vomiting. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder. All of these presentations that we see that people interpret as, you know, the devil coming in or, you know, whatever. I wonder how many of these presentations are actually hidden traumas. Mm-hmm. Sexual purity, all of that. 
presenting in the body, not knowing what to do with the pressure of that guilt and shame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's obvious. It's obvious responses that we were speaking about earlier, like disassociation or like panic attacks or, um, those or like, yeah. Um, but it's, I think people often don't realize the small, the small things in the body as well, because the body is in survival mode at all times. Right. And so when, when you are triggered or when you are activated by something, even if it's small, if you could notice a change in the body and you can acknowledge that, um, it can help you be aware of it and, um, and be able to either learn how to deal with that a little bit better or learn what those triggers are and how you can avoid them or heal them. Uh, because it's, that's something it took a long time for me to understand too, because there were, you know, obviously that there was the disassociation from the first time I had sex with a person, but every time since then, I've, I have noticed that to your point, sometimes I disassociate. Sometimes I have nightmares. Sometimes I have many panic attacks where my heart rate just starts yep. going. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, and every time that that happens, it's a, something a little different. It's never just because of sex. It's, right. you know, maybe we, tr- maybe we tried something different and then that triggered me or maybe um, my, you know, if we tried something different, maybe my partner didn't like it, then that triggers me. Um, or even if I, this is not just on sexual acts, but with, um, like wardrobe, if I decide to wear something a bit more revealing that triggers me, even though I'm trying really hard to not like, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's, it's about being aware of these things and, and knowing what it's, it's, it's all part of the work, you know? I still can't wear short shorts. I can't do it. Mm. I can't like, and, and really short dresses. Like I try, mm-hmm. but I'm like so paranoid. I'm so paranoid. Yeah. I also like, I've, I've gotten to this place of trying to fight against bras. <laughs> <laughs> Get them out. One, they're painful. And two, it's yeah. not natural. You're, you actually lose like muscle weakness because of bras. And, mm-hmm. um, I, this, this is like so exposing. One time I, 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 I chose, I was like, I, I don't, I really want to wear this jumper, but I don't want to wear a strapless bra because they're painful. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not wearing a bra today. Also it had like a lining. So it wasn't like my, you know, but mm-hmm. I didn't like, it was the nipples. Like, what is it about nipples for on women <sighs> that are so God. sexualized? Fuck. Okay. I, I mean, know. But I, I went to therapy that this is the only place I went public. I went to therapy and my, mm-hmm. and my, um, my therapist commented on it. She was like, you, you're really closed off today. Cause I was sitting mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. covering. Yep. And I was like, yep. yeah, I'm not wearing a bra. That's why. But now like in this moment, I'm realizing I'm like, no, wait, this all just goes back to purity culture drama. Like, yep. and not feeling like I'm allowed to do certain things or present in certain ways in public. Um, yes. It all goes back to that. Yeah. 
it's insane. It's, it is incredibly, um, it is so incredibly influential on people's everyday decisions that, and we don't realize it. It's, it just becomes internalized and it becomes your norm. And when you either start to see people going outside of that and you, or you have people start questioning you of like, Oh, why don't you like, it's like my boyfriend does that all the time where we'll go, we'll be going shopping and I'll try something on. And it ends up being like maybe a quote unquote too short or too low cut or something like that. And, and from him, he's like, you look great. You should buy it. And I'm like, I, what are you talking about? I can't wear this. Like, and he's like, why not? You look, you know, it's, it's, it's simple things like that, but you, when it's been so ingrained in your identity because of the formation of your psychological identity um, at such a young age, you can't, it, it's so hard to undo years of psychological training. Right. And now like to kind of flip the script, I, you know, we're two women talking. So obviously like it's going to go like mm-hmm. kind of woman centric, so to speak, but um, just, just to bring forward the other side of it, like, um, you know, we've talked about how, how this presents in women, mm-hmm. but you know, how, how does this, how does this also present in men? Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of brings us back to the conversation about things that are natural. Mm-hmm. Um, our bodies naturally need sex. That is why we have wet dreams. Mm-hmm. It's not because you're impure or whatever. It's because your body needs to physically release. Right. It needs that. Like it physically needs that release. And so if you aren't doing it yourself, you'll start to have wet dreams because your body's trying to get rid Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And so for women, like, you know, we don't have that issue as much as a man does because they physically sorry, these are the balls Typically, <laughs> need to release like naturally like their body needs to do that. Yeah. It's not, it's not okay for them not to. Right. And so, um, if you think about that and the pain that can cause, mm-hmm. and you're telling them they're not supposed to be doing that, what would that create? Yeah. Frustration, mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in pain? <laughs> You're not nice, yeah. right? Or you just yeah. don't talk to anyone. <laughs> like, right? Like, get the fuck away, right? Like, yeah. Think about how that you know then creates um, impulsivity. Teenagers are already naturally impulsive, y'all. Like. They're, they're like, that's just part of development. They're, they're testing things. They're just going, they haven't, they haven't, you know, fully developed their stoppers yet. Yeah, um, true. So if you're telling someone that they are not allowed to have sex, they're not allowed to masturbate. Their body is saying, um, but you need to physically, mm-hmm. you need to do these things. Um, 
And then you're like, imagine what scenarios that can start to create. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So like for me, all of a, a good chunk of society and our issues with sex, it all, it all just goes back to this. It goes back to purity culture. It goes back to the church. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, it goes back to what, what you produce when you don't have appropriate sexual education. Yes. When you tell people something that is natural needs to be suppressed. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And it is, to your point, it's so easy to talk about the women's side of things as women. And all, too often, how men are affected by purity culture is not discussed. Right. Um, because as part of it, I think that a lot of men, I mean, this is kind of known across the board, I think, but men have a hard time discussing emotional things, period, because they're told that's not manly. That's, that's right. emasculating them if they talk about these things. and. Um, you know, men are meant to be the the spiritual leaders, men are meant to be the the foundation, the rock. Um, and talking about issues like this does not equate to those things because they are admitting to struggling with sexual things. Right. Um so they are now and, not strong. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um and it's, it's a very, it's huge for men too. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I encountered that with the relationship I had in college because he was trying so hard to be so pure that he refused to masturbate. He refused to do any of that. And then I could, you know, and not blaming him for this at all. Cause I understand why he was uncomfortable and in pain and frustrated, but there would sometimes we would be bickering or fighting about something so small. And then we'd make the choice to mess around in the bedroom for whatever reason. And then it was like a switch flipped in him and he felt better. Like he was just nicer. And, and for a long time, because I didn't associate the two, like the, the release with his frustration and pain. I mean, even you just saying that now, like I'm, I'm coming to a realization that I I associated the fact that like, Oh, he just wants, you know, he's a guy and he feels better when you know, we do stuff because that's what guys do. Um, or that's what guys like, or that's what guys want. But no, it was probably him just genuinely feeling better. Like <laughs> it's probably him just being like, no, I feel, I feel great now. Thanks. Like, yeah. um, but then again, it goes back, we would go back to the mental gymnastics of, okay, I'm glad you feel better, but we just fucked up and we need to feel shame for that. You know, um, it's a constant, I feel like just as, as much as it's a constant cycle for women, it's a, absolutely a constant cycle for men as yeah. well. Um, especially because they have that need to physically release that women don't have to deal with. That's a very good point you make. A very good point. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, which is why, um, you know, it really makes you like delve into the, like sometimes, do you ever just like imagine like, who was in the room who created purity culture and what was Mm -hmm. that meeting like? Maybe this is a comedic routine that I just need to go create, but like, (laughs) um, I, like what I'm picturing is someone saying, okay, um, we need our youth to stop having sex. Um, and the boys like they're 
they're going to want to have sex because they, they physically need to, like they need to release it. Like they need to masturbate. They need to do all these things. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to be harder to stop them. Okay. So then obviously we need to stop it through the women. Mm -hmm. That's how it feels sometimes. Right. And tell the women, Oh, see, like it's all your fault that they're sexual. Mm -hmm. It's all your fault. You know, you wore this, you did that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's their fault. So just avoid women, put them behind a veil on this side of the church because you know, they're the reason that you have a sexual issue, not because you physically need it and need to release it. It's the women. It's their fault. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that was literally taught in my youth group that to both like to the women that we are, it's our responsibility to protect the purity of our brothers in Christ. Like that was, that was the verbiage used. And also this was taught both to the guys and to the girls that guys are wired in the brain. Like they taught us that the guys can't help it no matter what you do. Like they are inherently sexual and they have to fight that every day. And it's your job to help them not have to do that as much. It's, it's up to you because that's how they're wired. That's, that's literally the verbiage they used. Men are wired to want to be sexual. Women are not. That was another pit. You, you, know, you have to make sure that you don't lead them to that because that's not a part of you. you you're the support. You're the caring, nurturing, loving. They're, they're the sex machines over there. So make sure that you you do everything in your power to not tempt them to act on the the sex machine tendency that's wired into their brain. Um, so that was, yeah, that was literally taught in my youth group that men are wired to be that way, um, which I always thought was strange. I always thought that was very strange verbiage to use. And it affected the guys in my youth group because I dated a couple of guys in my youth group and they they were constantly, we'd have constantly have conversations about them saying like, I feel like, you know, they're telling me that I'm wired this way, but I don't, that doesn't feel right. But I know I have sexual urges, but I don't know. It, it feels, it, it, they're telling me it's wrong. So it feels wrong, but it also, like, I feel they, they were so conflicted because they didn't know if they were supposed to, if it truly was their biology or if it wasn't. And they were supposed, they, it was, it was hard to watch, honestly. Yeah. And then as you hear, you know, as you talk out those narratives, you, you hear the language of rape culture. Mm. Yeah. Right. Like where did, where did they even learn that it was the woman's fault that they, Mm. that they're like this. Right. I mean, you just said it. It was taught in my church. It was taught in my church. Uh-oh. We heard a story where a woman is raped and blamed mm-hmm. for the rape. I think like all of them. Pretty much. <laughs> it feels like it. Um, yeah. Right. Like we, like we are always blamed. It was our fault. We were tempting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that, that gives the, the assaulter the excuse Mm -hmm. to relieve themselves from the sin. 
well, you know, actually it was the woman who sinned. So I'm not, you know, I only have, this goes back to the half sin bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. It really does. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. It goes back to the half sin thing. It really does. Like, oh, well, actually she started it. So she's the real sinner, which is why we constantly call women whores, right? Mm-hmm. She's the real sinner. She tempted me. So um, I had sex. So yes, I did a bad, but I only did a half bad because really it was her fault. Right. Right. It's, I mean, you can trace that ideology all the way back to the Adam and Eve story. You know, people like, oh, Eve was the whole center. She did, she initiated the whole thing, gave Adam the apple. It's her fault. Adam just trusted her and that was his demise. You know, that whole bullshit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it, um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, once you actually talk it out, it's kind of a scary thing to think about, you know, where mm-hmm. if you, if you go back to, you know, someone who is a youth who is young um, and they've, they've created this narrative for themselves. Um, and then the first time it happens, they, they blame the, you know, the woman or the girl in that case, because, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about teenagers here, um, yeah. you know, uh, he can keep doing that. Mm-hmm. He can just keep reconciling it over and over and over again through blaming the woman and never taking responsibility mm-hmm. for what he is actually doing because he's taking the narrative of the church. Right. Right. Which is. You know, people can, people are so quick to say, oh, like, you know, that's, you know, sociopathic or psychopathic for a guy to just be like, oh, no, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. But when the, when you were taught at such a young age in your identity development stage that you are wired to want these things, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, there's a, you know, you, <laughs> I, I can't imagine trying to completely disassociate with that by yourself when you've been trained mentally to take that take in that narrative as truth um so there's not to say that there are obviously it's not right and i'm not saying that you know we should excuse men for using that as an excuse to keep doing the things they do um if they are an assaulter but it just call it, it calls into question um, where to our point, where it all started and why people think the way they do. Yeah. A lot of, um, in therapy, um, the trigger word here is, and it's not, Mm. it's not an, or right. Um, it's a men need to take responsibility for their actions and we recognize where these actions started mm-hmm. that maybe the narrative that you are holding on to is not necessarily directly your fault from the beginning. Right. Right. Um, and for me, as someone who feels called religious trauma and trying to find a way to rid the world of that, um, it's an important conversation because this is not an individual issue. 
if it was individual, it would be small scale. It's not. It's large scale. It's large scale. The issue is very big. And so that's, I mean, that's why I feel it's so important for, for me to, to pursue research around, you know, how can we heal religious trauma, not just from the individual, but from essentially like a restorative justice model, because Mm. it needs to involve everyone. It needs to involve the individual and helping them get to a better place. It needs to involve reconciliation with their family, depending on the scenario. And then reconciliation with the church. We need to be working with the religious institutions. Mm -hmm. And this applies to all religions. I just want to be clear because all of us um, in in the major Abrahamic faiths have purity culture issues. Um, All all three of them do. Um, And so... It, and it all goes back to the institution. What are these institutions teaching our children and our youth? And how is that producing dangers in adulthood? And even in late youthhood, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not a silo. It's not, it's not an individual. This is a bigger issue that starts at an institutional level. So if we don't address what's happening in the institutions. We don't address purity culture. We don't address conversion therapy. We mm-hmm. don't address these things. Um, we're going to continue to have people with severe sexual trauma and that is caused by religious trauma, right? It starts yeah. with religious trauma Yeah, for a lot of Absolutely. people. Not everyone, but the thing, and the, the other piece here we're totally running out of time, but the other thing is that um, we're a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. So even if you yourself are not going to a church, our culture is so ingrained in Christian culture that you are exposed to it, whether you like it or not. Right. And so even if you weren't like me and Paige and actually, you know, were exposed to these faith traditions, you on a like direct basis, you're still being indoctrinated by purity culture because purity culture is running our nation. Yes, absolutely. There is, I'm going to interject real quick. I'll let you finish your thought. There is a book called The Purity Myth. I'm going to link it down below, but it discusses all of this in detail and it's an incredible book. Um, it talks about media and movies, television, um, how the purity myth or purity culture permeates our entire society as an American culture. I'll, I'll link it down below. Continue. Yes, please. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's um, you, whether you're in it or you're adjacent to it, you are being affected by it. It is, it is the reason that even if you didn't grow up in the church, you feel like you're a whore. Mm-hmm. It all goes back to this because that's who's, that's who's in charge of the narrative. It's always about who is in charge of these narratives. Who is, who is the leader in a conversation? Um, I mean, that's, that's why white supremacy exists, right? Right. We, we are in charge of the conversation. We have the mic, right? 
-hmm. Christians have the might in the United States. And so that then bleeds into every piece of our culture, um, whether we like it or not. And so if we don't address it at the institutional level, it won't change on the cultural level. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's it. That's all we have to do. That's it. But it, but it starts like, it starts with conversations like these and it starts with research like yours and work like yours, because you are, you are one of the people who are spearheading this. Like you said, there are only a handful of research articles done on the topic of religious trauma and we it's like obviously as we've said in this entire discussion it needs to be so much more than that there needs to be more discussion there needs to be more um more deep dives into the research and into the psychology and into the narratives because so many people are affected without knowing that they are affected and there are serious ethical dilemmas there um so i appreciate you as a human just first and foremost but i also appreciate the fact that you are going into this work because it is brave first of all it is necessary second of all and it will be so impactful for so many so many people um so kelly thank you so much for your your time and your energy and your words your expertise um and your storytelling because even just with this conversation, it's a hard one to have, like we've, like we've said, but I hope that the people listening can feel how much you love what you do and how much passion you have for this work and that it will help heal. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh man, I feel like we need to like take a deep breath in. I know, right? Like everyone like do like a quick body scan. That's a therapist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like that. I've been doing a lot of breath work lately. So I'm just like, okay, everyone take a deep breath in and release and let go of the tension. (sighs) Yes, yes, yes. Have a conversation, like breathe in, hold it, have a conversation with wherever the tension is being held in your body, say hello to it recognize it and then when you breathe out let it go you might need to put a few times beyond how intense that tension is Mm -hmm. it is a very helpful exercise and probably necessary after this episode yes (laughs) yes it is absolutely absolutely we did go over time but I don't care because we had so much to discuss so um yeah I hope that yeah, I just I hope that people lift, if people can't make it through that episode on the first try, I don't blame them um, because we we dive deep into some yeah. crazy crazy things. But even I mean, even for for me, that conversation was healing. I feel <laughs> I feel yeah. so open. <laughs> um, so, and that's I mean that's ultimately the point, right? It's just that if at the end of the day people can listen to the conversation and even if they, there's no healing involved, even if there's, even if they can't fully process everything we say, mm-hmm. if they just know that they are not alone in this 
journey or know they're not alone in this process because there are at least two other people who have similar stories or have been affected by purity culture, then that's, yeah, that's all I want. I just want people to know they can sit here with us and be in this space and know they don't have to do it by themselves. That's all I care about. The mustard seed. Right. Exactly. We planted the mustard seed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it will move mountains.